It's wonderful to be able to be back and bringing you the Word of God again. I've been away for a little while, um, out of the country, but such a privilege to be able to look into God's Word again today. Uh, we're working through the book of Romans, and uh, this is the fifth uh, episode in that book as we uh, study through uh, all the different chapters. And uh, as we've already seen in the previous episodes, Romans is one of the most important books in the Scriptures. Uh, it's really a book that establishes the fundamental doctrines of our faith and really gives us a good insight and understanding into the gospel um, that Paul preached, which is the only gospel. And so it's so important that we do study this book and uh, that we devote the amount of time that we're doing to that study. So today let's pick up from where uh, the previous session left off. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29 today. Um, but before we read the scriptures, let's just open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you that once again we can open the Bible, we can come to your word, knowing that you have given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to both teach it and to understand it. Thank you, Father, that you are with us. And thank you, Father, that through your word you enlighten us and teach us and make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So take the word today, Father. Take the scriptures today and minister them to our hearts, we pray. Amen. Let's read this passage. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to read through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 29. The Apostle Paul writes, if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God." This passage is part of a section 
of this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, which goes all the way back to chapter 1 verse 16. It's a large section of scripture going from chapter 1 verse 16 and it goes right through to chapter 3 and verse 20. In this section of scripture, Paul is really establishing and laying the foundation for presenting and teaching and sharing the gospel, which he's going to do subsequently. So he's really laying a foundation in these, these scriptures and these uh, sections of scripture that we're looking at. In this section of the letter, Paul is um, really establishing a, a fact that every single human being is under sin. And as we go on in the letter, you will actually see him tell us this. This phrase keeps coming up, both to the Jew and to the Gentile. And uh, we wonder why that phrase keeps coming up. Why is he switching between Gentile and Jew and sort of um, comparing them all the time? The reason is, is that he's wanting to establish this foundation that the gospel is essential and vital, not only for Gentiles, but also for the Jews. And that God's dealings, although he has dealt with the Jews in a, in a, a special way, when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to salvation, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. When it comes to the way that God is going to judge people, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And so the section that we've just read is really a part of Paul laying this foundation. And the previous uh, parts, the previous episodes where we were looking at the, the, the passages that come before this, Paul has been doing the same thing. So unless we understand that in this letter, one of the main objectives that Paul had in writing it was to establish how the gospel was relevant to both Jew and Gentile and how God was bringing his dealings with all of humanity together under Christ, we will never fully understand the letter of Romans. So in chapter 1, Paul explains what has happened to mankind in general. And he talks about mankind's rebellion to God and the, the paganism that mankind has become involved in and, and the chaos that that has brought into our lives and into society as we've turned our back on God. But in that chapter, he's not just talking about Gentiles. There is also a, a, a relevance that that has to Jews as well who came out of paganism. And when you look at the history of the Jewish nation, was often slipping back into that kind of activity as well. Although at the time that Paul wrote the letter, the Jews would certainly not have considered themselves to be a part of that group that Paul was describing in Genesis chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, Paul moves on and he begins to talk to people in a general sense. People who uh, take a high moral position and judge others who they consider to be doing things that are evil when they themselves are involved in the same kind of practices. And in a way, Paul calls them hypocrites. And he shows that just assenting to what is right and condemning what is wrong does not save anybody. We're not saved because we assent to something that is good and condemn something that is wrong. That is not sufficient to save somebody from God's wrath. Because as he shows, God will judge people by their works and so it really requires a genuine repentance for people to be saved. Now in this passage, 
Paul goes on and he begins to specifically address a group of people called the Jews. Who are the Jews? Well, we probably have some sort of idea. There are people that came from the area where Jerusalem is and Judea. Uh, they consisted of the tribe of Judah and also some of the other tribes or fragments from some of the other tribes of Israel. Uh, at the time that Paul was writing this letter, many of the Jews had moved and been dispersed to live in the Roman Empire. They had traveled abroad. Uh, they were no longer living in Jerusalem and in Judea where they had come from, but were, were a diaspora, one could say, throughout the Roman Empire. Many of them lived in Rome at this particular time. Um, these Jews, their leaders were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the, 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 the ironic, sorry, the ironic priesthood. And uh, they were the ones that we read about a lot in like the Gospel of John. If you look in the Gospel of John, you'll see a lot of reference to the Jews. They're the ones who persecuted Christ and crucified him. Uh, they're the ones who persecuted the early church and uh, persecuted the apostles. And they were even the ones who persecuted the apostle Paul. They were very zealous for the law. They prided themselves in the law. And in particular, the various sacraments of the law. Uh, they were very zealous for keeping the Sabbaths and for other ceremonial aspects of the law. They prided themselves in the fact that they descended from Abraham and that they had been circumcised in the flesh. These were the sort of things that they, they pinned their, their hope and their trust in. The security for their eternal salvation was pinned upon these kind of activities and upon the fact that they were Abraham's descendants and circumcised in the flesh. And they had great disdain for those who did not keep the law in the way that they prescribed the law should be kept. They would not eat with Gentiles because they considered Gentiles to be unclean. Uh, they wouldn't even eat with them. They wouldn't eat with sinners. In other words, people that did not keep the law the way that they thought it should be kept. They trusted in their own righteousness, which was a righteousness that was based upon keeping the sacraments of the law. It was based upon keeping things like the Sabbaths and the feasts and being circumcised and the washing of hands and all kinds of external sacraments. And they saw themselves as this fount of knowledge when it came to things pertaining to God. They saw themselves sort of as the final authority on what is good and what is not good. And, uh, and so we see this coming out in the way Paul is addressing them here in this passage. But Paul carries on and he then asks these Jews a very pointed question or, or a series of pointed questions. He did not deny their privileged position in the fact that they had the law of God, in the fact that they had the scriptures, and that out of all the nations of the earth, they were the ones that God had chosen to entrust the scriptures to, and had, through the scriptures they had this, uh, this uh, opportunity to know God, and they had access to the, the knowledge of God and the, and the light that comes from that knowledge. So he didn't deny their privileged position. But he asked them some pointed questions, which in essence were this. Are you doing what you're telling others to do? Are you keeping the law? Are you really keeping the law the way that you think you're keeping the law? He said this, and we read this in verses 21 to 23. He said, you who teach another, 
and he's obviously referring to the Jews, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? And then he quotes from Isaiah and Ezekiel, and in doing so, he makes a very strong and condemning statement about the Jews. This is what he said. He said, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now that is a condemning statement if there ever was one. You see, Paul is making it clear here to the Jews that he knew that they were not doing as they preached. That they were not really keeping the law like they said they were keeping. And they were, uh, in essence, causing God's name to be blasphemed as a result. Paul is criticizing them and condemning them as hypocrites. And it's very interesting that if you to go back to the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of John, you will see that the Lord Jesus constantly condemned the Jews as being hypocrites because they preached one thing but did another. They didn't keep the law even though they claimed to be keeping the law. It was the leaders of the Jews who brought that woman to Jesus. I don't know if you remember the story in John chapter 8 where a woman was caught in adultery and the leaders of the Jews brought her to Jesus and said, what shall we do? Shall we stone this woman? If you're familiar with that story, the Lord Jesus began to write in the sand and uh, he then turned to them and said, let those of you who are without sin be the first to cast the stone at her. And one by one they all left I wonder what the Lord wrote in the sand there. And I wonder why, as he was writing in the sand, all those Jewish leaders left the scene and, uh, and, and didn't continue to try and press charges against this woman. You see, they knew deep inside their hearts the way that they lived. They knew that they were lawbreakers. And so even though they claimed this high moral ground, they themselves were not keeping what they taught. Paul at one time was one of these Jews. He came from this background. And so he understood the lifestyle of the Jewish people and he understood their psyche. Paul didn't ask, and this is very, this is very um, important and very uh, notable, that Paul didn't ask them, are you keeping the Sabbaths? Are you observing the feasts? Are you observing all the rituals of the law? He went straight to where the problem was. He asked them, are you keeping the commandments? And he addressed their morality. You see, they preached against covetousness, yet their hearts were full of covetousness. They preached against adultery, yet their hearts were full of adultery. They abhorred idols, and yet they robbed temples. And it was their hypocrisy that led God's name to being not hallowed, but blasphemed among the Gentiles. So why was it this way? Why was this group that seemed to so honor the law of God, so, uh, you know, pro pro uh, they were strong proponents of the, of the law of God. They taught it, preached it, wanted others to follow it. Why was this group of people that seemed to so honor God's law, breaking God's law? Why did it seem like they were unable to keep the very law that they preached? Well, Paul goes on and he, he, he explains why it happened. 
You see, even though they had been circumcised in the flesh as little babies, they had never been circumcised in heart. And this is a very interesting and important matter. And it's one that today most people probably don't have much knowledge of because circumcision is something that's sort of out of the scope of most of our thinking and most of our understanding and experience. We, so what we're going to do is we're just going to do a little bit of a Bible study to understand what Paul's talking about here when he refers to circumcision in the flesh, circumcision in the heart. Because it has its roots right back in the very law that these Jews were preaching. And yet, although they were preaching the law which contained this teaching on circumcision in the heart, they did not themselves uh, practice it or even acknowledge it. So let's just have a look at this. Circumcision in the flesh versus circumcision in the heart. In the law, God commanded that every male Israeli child would be circumcised in the flesh on the eighth day. We see this in Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 3 where it said this, On the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So this circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God had made with Abraham about 430 years beforehand. And what it was, it, it was a sign that these, this group of people that were circumcised in the flesh were the children of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, and therefore his heirs. So it was also symbolic. This circumcision in the flesh was symbolic of another circumcision that was absolutely vital and necessary for someone to be a part of God's people and to be considered an heir of Abraham and a descendant of Abraham in spirit. This circumcision that, this was, that it was a sign of, that it was a symbol of, was a circumcision of the heart. Okay, so circumcision in the flesh was symbolic of a circumcision that had to take place in the heart. But it's very interesting that the, the Jews who studied the law and studied it diligently not only ignored this aspect of the circumcision of the heart, but they didn't do what God commanded concerning it. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16, this is what we read. God says to the Jews through Moses, circumcise your heart you, and stiffen your neck no longer. So in the law, not only did God command them to circumcise their flesh, but He also commanded them to circumcise their hearts. They had never done that. And this is what Paul is talking about here. You see, an uncircumcised heart is a heart that is resistant to God. It is a heart that is stiff-necked. And when it talks there about a stiff neck, it's speaking metaphorically about an ox who would refuse to take the yoke upon them. So if you, if you had an ox, an ox sorry, that was stiff-necked and you try to put that yoke on them, that ox would shake its head and wouldn't allow that yoke to come on him. And the ox would be called a stiff-necked ox. And so this is what the Lord was saying about the nation of Israel. They would not take uh, His laws upon them. They would not keep His laws. They had stiff necks. And why did they have that? Because they had uncircumcised hearts. In Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4, this is what we read. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that's the Jews. 
or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So here once again we see God through the prophet Jeremiah telling the Jews that being circumcised in the flesh was not enough, that they also needed to be circumcised in the heart. And he actually said here that if they were not circumcised in the heart, it would lead to God's wrath being poured out upon them. That circumcision of the heart was the removal, you could say, of the sinful resistance that they had to God. Israel went into exile because of the uncircumcision of their hearts, even though they were circumcised in the flesh. And so it's very easy, just as you look at the history of Israel, to see what Paul is teaching here in this passage. That circumcision in the flesh was never going to save anybody. There had to be a circumcision in the hearts. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 25 to 26 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Notice that phrase, they are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. They were circumcised in the flesh, yet uncircumcised in heart. He says, Egypt and Judah and Edom and the sons of Ammon and Moab and all those inhabiting the desert who clip the hair on their temples. For all the nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. Do you see the condemnation that God is bringing against the nation of Israel and against the Jews? What was it? They were uncircumcised of heart. And do you see what he says about all the nations? He says that they too are uncircumcised, not only in the flesh, but in the heart. You see, physical circumcision does not bring salvation. People, whether Jew or Gentile, must be circumcised in heart if they are to be saved. And this is the point that Paul is making in the passage that we read. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, we read this, For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. That's referring about to circumcision in the flesh. But what matters is a new creation. You see, the only thing that matters when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to salvation, is that somebody is born again. That somebody has been made a new creation in Christ. And this is what being circumcised in the heart is all about. Real circumcision, true circumcision, is not in the flesh by human hands, but it is in the heart by the Spirit of God. Heart circumcision is what determines whether someone is really one of God's people or not. Physical circumcision does not determine that. Anyone who is circumcised physically but not in the heart um, is the same as one who has not been circumcised uh, physically. And one who is circumcised physically um, but is in the heart Sorry, let me say that again. One who is not circumcised physically, but is circumcised in the heart, will be accepted by God ahead of someone who has been circumcised physically, but not in the heart. Listen to this verse, these two verses in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 to 3. Paul says, as he's writing to the Philippians, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. 
For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Do you see the, the, the truth that Paul is establishing here? The true circumcision is that which is within the heart. The true, truly circumcised people, the people that are truly God's uh, people, the people that are truly the descendants of Abraham, the people that are really heirs to the covenant that God made with Abraham, are those who are circumcised in heart. As he says here, who worship God in the spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Those are the true descendants of Abraham. God must perform spiritual surgery for someone to be part of his people. And the problem is this. A man cannot circumcise his own heart. This is why the Jews never did it. When God told them to circumcise their hearts, they were unable to, to fulfill that commandment. Because only God can do that in a person's life. Wonderfully though, do you know that God has promised to do this for us? Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6 says this, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. In other words, so you may be saved. You see, God has promised to do for men what they cannot do for themselves. In doing so, as God does this in our lives or in a person's life, people are empowered to fulfill the law and please God. Remember, the greatest, the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the Lord Jesus said that on that commandment, the whole law hangs. And so when people fulfill that commandment, they are keeping the whole law. And so what the Lord is saying here is that as He circumcises people's hearts, He is giving them the ability to fulfill the law, to live in a way that will please God, which is something the Jews could never do because of the uncircumcision of their hearts. So how does God circumcise the hearts of men? He uses His Word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. You see, the Word of God is so sharp that it is able to penetrate right through into our hearts and it is able to cut and with it God performs surgery in our lives and in our hearts. Through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is able to remove the foreskin of our hearts, to put it in a metaphorical sense. He uses the Word of God, He uses the Gospel to bring people to a place of faith in Christ where they are deeply convicted of their sin and repent and turn to Him and are born again. That's when they become new creatures. And it's then that they are made a part of God's covenant people, the children of Abraham and heirs of the promises that God gave to Abraham. And it's there that we receive the ability and the power to be able to keep God's law. And God doesn't do this only for the Jews. He does it for the Gentiles as well. Paul writing to the Gentile Christians in Colossae wrote this. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 to 12. He said, In Him, in Christ, 
you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Anyone who is born again, anyone who is truly in Christ, has been circumcised in their hearts, and it will be seen in the way they live their lives. They didn't do it. It wasn't performed by their own hands or the hands of any other person. Christ did it by His Spirit through the Word. And when did He do it? When they submitted their lives and committed their lives to Jesus Christ at baptism. When they were born again. Today, as we end this study, the study of this passage, I don't want to do it without each of us asking the same kind of questions about ourselves that Paul asked of the Jews. The Jews claimed to know the truth, yet their lives did not match the, their claims. Do ours. We say that we believe in Jesus, that we are a follower of Christ. We call ourselves Christians. But does our confession is it, let me put it this way, is our confession matched by what people see in our lives? Or is it just empty words? Is our confession of Christ matched by our obedience to Christ? The Lord Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet you do not do what I say? Paul said that because of their hypocrisy, the Jews' hypocrisy, the name of God was being blasphemed among the Gentiles. How often has it been that God's name and the name of Christ has been blasphemed in the unbelieving world because of the way Christians have conducted themselves, because of the hypocrisy of those who claim to be Christians? Brothers and sisters, this is not the way it should be. We were created for the glory of God. We were created so that His name might be hallowed, not so that His name would be blasphemed. And it's vital that we conduct ourselves in life, in the world, in a way that always brings glory to God. We don't want to have the same condemnation upon ourselves as Paul was leveling against the Jews of his time. We want to be those through whom God's name is hallowed. And that's why we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Father, may your name be hallowed. We want that to happen through our lives. You see, a Christian is not someone who just goes to church. A Christian is not someone who just observes various sacraments. A Christian is one who has had a heart change. A heart change that has been affected by Christ. And unless there is that heart change, there will never be salvation. Only the fearful expectation of wrath. We have to to allow God to perform spiritual surgery in our hearts if we're going to be saved. There has to be a deep conviction in our hearts that we are sinners and that we're powerless to save ourselves. And when that deep conviction comes, what it does is it leads us to turn to Christ in faith and call on His name. 
And it's when we do that, when we turn to Christ, and in the realization that we cannot save ourselves, and in the realization that we are sinners, that we are not righteous, but that we deserve the wrath of God, and that we need the mercy of God, and in realizing that, call on Him for mercy. That's when salvation comes to us. And that's when God performs the spiritual surgery and circumcises, circumcises our hearts. So I want to leave two challenges today. I want to leave the challenge of the question, are we living the kind of life that brings glory to God? Or is our life causing God's name to be blasphemed amongst those who do not believe? And the second challenge is to those who have never received Christ, have never called on His name, have never acknowledged their need for Him and for His mercy, have never really acknowledged that they are sinners and that they are powerless to save themselves. If that's you today, you need to call on the name of Christ. You need to turn to Him. You need to submit your life to Him and commit your life to Him so that you might be saved. Ask God today to circumcise your heart and to set you free from the sinfulness that has controlled your life, the power of sin to which you have been a slave. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is always applicable to us. Thank you that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you that it penetrates right deep inside our hearts. Thank you that it has the power to bring conviction. Lord, we realize that we have often lived hypocritically. We have often done things that have been contrary to what we believe and to what we say we believe. Forgive us for that. Help us to live lives that will bring you glory. Help us not to be those that are instruments that cause your name to be blasphemed. Help us to live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I also pray for every person today that might be listening to this message that has never called upon the name of Jesus Christ. I pray today that your word would convict them. It would penetrate into their hearts and cut them to their hearts and that they would realize their sinfulness and their powerlessness to save themselves and the certainty of your coming wrath upon all who do not repent. I pray today that you would use your word to cause them to turn to you and be saved. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been wonderful to just share God's word with you. I pray that it will have been clear and I pray that it will have given you understanding and insight into what Paul was saying in this passage of scripture. May God bless you. May he keep you until the next time that we meet. Amen.